All right, you can be seated, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Hoff, Alaska, wherever we are. Um, it's good to see you all, especially on a cold day. I was thinking to myself, I wonder if anybody's going to come. They're just going to start off a pot of chili and stay at home. And some of you are like, we should have done that. But I'm glad you're here. We're going to switch a little bit the order this morning. Um, I want to just share with you a few kind of family things, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some teaching, and then we're going to fill the back half as a response, okay? So this morning, um, however you find yourself here, maybe you find yourself here feeling a little bit like the weather outside. Um, I just, I just want you to, uh, I want us to just take a moment and just maybe let, uh, let go of some things that are in our hearts and in our minds that are um, causing some, some anxiety, causing some frustration. Maybe you're looking ahead at the week and you're not that excited about it. Uh, maybe you're looking back at your year and you are uh, frustrated, uh, disappointed, discouraged. That's, that's okay. That's part of being human. And we're glad you're here. Um, and our goal is to be a family in that. So the goal uh, as a family, as a church community, as the body of Christ, is to do all that together. And so because of that, we want to connect better. One of the ways that we feel like is the best way to connect together is around a table. And we have an opportunity for you, and, uh, and it's happening really the next number of weeks. Um, there is going to be a lunch gathering after our gathering at Gene Waisaki's house. And there are four to five spots available for today. So if you're like, hey, free lunch, uh, I can meet some people over lunch together. Um, that is happening today. That's happening every Sunday. And so I'd encourage you to take a courageous risk and say, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to meet some people. Um, I'd love a free lunch. So I'm going to have Jean raise her hand. She's right here. She raised two hands. That's courage right there. So Respond if you have some time. We'd love for you to be a part of that little connection today. And, and you might say to yourself, I know Gene already. I'm not going to take up space. Listen, first one to Gene wins. Uh, so that's how it goes. Um, and you can just get up now and go over and tell Gene, text her, whatever. But if you would like to be a part of that, talk to Gene. A couple other things happening. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have a membership meeting and lunch, meaning if you're interested in and seeing what it looks like to be rooted in this family and kind of push kind of push your chips in with this community, we would love to invite you to that. It's going to happen right after our gathering. We're going to have lunch. We're going to do that together. Um, by the way, I'm going to also encourage, we're going to take our offering right now. So if you're part of the offering crew, um, be a part of giving if you'd like. We'd love for you to be a part of making this place roll ahead. 
Um, and a lot of people give online. So if you want to do that, that is welcome to you as well. Um, one other thing that's happening is as our kids area is growing and we can foresee where that growth is happening, um, we are repositioning some rooms downstairs, much like with your own house, um, making room for more, uh, whether it's children or guests or whatever, um, you have to kind of take a look at rooms and see if what works. So what we've done downstairs is we've decided to open up one of the rooms uh, for our kids downstairs, and it's going to require some folks who like to paint. So if you're interested, we have no. We have... Um... <laughs> Just kidding, Silas. <laughs> if you're interested, um, we've got a crew that's going to paint the ceiling, and we've got a crew that's going to paint the walls. And so this is going to happen after next Sunday. If you're interested... We're going to just kind of schedule it around who wants to help. So the beauty is, put your hand down, the beauty is there'll be nothing in the room. You don't have to worry about that. We'll have all the drop cloths. It's just basically cutting in and rolling. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, if some of you like to do that, let uh, me know. Um, you can let Katie know. She's downstairs right now. But we would just love to add a few more people to that crew. So, okay. Everybody ready? Let's pray together. And uh, we'll get started. God, thank you that we get to gather in this space together. Thank you for the, the different stories in this room. We're grateful for how you work, how you move. We sometimes don't know how to read Scripture the scripture that you inspired through human beings. We don't know what it means all the time. We don't know how it fits for us. God, I'm just asking that you would um, crack open some places in our lives that um, need to be addressed with this conversation this morning in all of us, me included. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Just doing a quick temperature check for everybody. Hot, cold. We're doing okay? Because I'm roasting right now. I don't... I'm, I'm roasting. My, I feel like I'm, I've just eaten hot chicken wings. And my head is beating up. I got the meat sweats. This shouldn't go on the podcast. <laughs> But I, I see, yeah, it's menopause. Yeah, I'm going through changes. And, uh, but if we need, if anybody feels like turning the heat down, like I wouldn't care. I wouldn't be okay. Um, here we go. We are in a series, uh, and we're talking about scripture. And we're chewing on it because, well, it seems to be a pretty formative part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And at the same time, what is it? How do we approach it? My goal, our goal, really is to, at the end of this, to, to move the needle in our lives when it comes to our engagement with Scripture. 
Like, what does it do? What is it, how does it form? And I really want to make sure that we're clear that I, this isn't a series on studying Scripture as much as it is um, us opening ourselves up to Scripture. Reading it and studying it are two different things. And that'll make more sense as we go this morning. But I want to start in like literally one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and that's Luke chapter 24. And this story has meant so much to me over the years, and I'm hoping that um, we're not going to get into all of it today, but there's some interesting stuff happening in this account that I think I want to draw our attention to. Um, first of all, this, the background for this is Jesus' death and resurrection has taken place and there are a couple guys who are confused, disappointed, and discouraged. They're really defeated, and they're walking away from Jerusalem. Let me read this. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. I love this part. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Skip down to verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses or the Torah, and all the prophets, and that's the way of saying the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now skip down to 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So we opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, I would love to hear that conversation, right? I mean, that would be the, the podcast of podcasts right there. Jesus taking all of the Old Testament and explaining to these two guys where he fits in it. That would be amazing. Now, where we're going today is I want to talk about what Jesus and Luke thought about, they thought about the Bible, and the reason why that's really important for us. So we're going to do some nerdy things. We're going to talk about book order <laughs> and, and some other nerdy things, and then hopefully on the other side, it'll make sense. But let's talk about book order. First of all, what did Jesus, what did Luke call the Bible? He called the Bible the Scriptures. That's his term for the Bible. Jesus' term for the Bible was, and he said it here out loud, he said, 
the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, we know that as what? Yes, you guys are awake. The Old Testament. But our Old Testament book order is way different than a traditional Jewish Old Testament book order. Our Old Testament book order, and this will make sense as we go, but when you read the Old Testament, there's a section that's First and Second Samuel, then it goes to First and Second Kings, and then it goes to First and Second Chronicles. Okay? The original book order is totally different. Um, in fact, the original book order ends like the whole Old Testament for Jesus' day ended with Second Chronicles. That's how it ended. So if you're not familiar with Second Chronicles, I would encourage you to like pop that open, go to the end of it, and, and that's how the Bible ends for the Jewish people. And if you read that, you'll understand a little bit more of like this yearning, this like what happens next. It's literally a story that has like a lot to be desired as far as the ending. It's like hanging. And so there's three major parts of what the Jewish Old Testament, the Jewish scripture are. The law, the Torah, first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the prophets, or what they call the Nevi'im. And the Nevi'im is uh, the, the prophets, so the minor prophets, uh, the, the, the book of the 12, the latter prophets, and then the writings. And the writings are called the Ketuvim. Now, this is kind of like, does everybody have a junk drawer at home? I think we have three. But there's like, there's a lot in that drawer, right? And if you don't know where it is, that's probably where it is. This is kind of what the writings are. The writings are the Psalms, Proverbs. It's even got the book of Daniel in there. It's got Esther, Ezra, some of these other writings. Some crazy, interesting books like Lamentations, which is laments, you know. And so that's how the Hebrew scriptures... That's how the scriptures that Jesus understood, the law, the prophets, and the writings, that's what he understood. Now, when you get to the book of Chronicles, there's this like huge swath. It covers the whole narrative of the people of Israel from Adam to this weird ending with the king of Persia allowing the exiles to come back home. That's the end of Second Chronicles. It's this story in search of an ending. They're waiting for Messiah to come and usher in the kingdom. So it's just hanging there. Now, this is a copy of the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Jewish Old Testament. I'm going to pass this around. It's totally show and tell today. Now, if you're familiar with Hebrew writing, it's not like our books where we flip it over and we turn it right to left. It's the other way. It's just kind of strange. It's interesting. 
And what this is, is it's a layout of what I just said. The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. And you guys, you guys are like, this is so boring. Why did I come? Hang with me. This is super fascinating. The Tanakh, okay, is actually, see a T-A-N-A-C-H. Um, it's actually K-H, but this is transliterated. And the whole point is, is that the, the four, I mean, the three sections of the book, the Torah, it stands for T-A. The Nevaim stands for N-A. And the Ketuvim stands for the K-H at the end. Now, you're saying, yes, but who cares? For years, scholars thought, didn't really think much of the book order. But really, in the last 30 years or so, there's a whole new group of biblical scholars, and they focus not necessarily on the words, but they focus on the order and how we got the order of Scripture, how we got the Old Testament, how we got the New Testament, all that kind of stuff. Now, there are super nerds. They're called canonics. They're in this study of canonics, which is the canon. And the reason why I'm bringing that to you is because they've discovered that there are two seams in Scripture. Ooh, that's nice when that's off. There are two seams in Scripture that are really important. And they're really important for you and I and how we read the Bible. And that's what we're going to get into today. Canonics. And scholars believe that this was put together by an editor, meaning somebody took all of the Old Testament writings and arranged them in a way that told the story of God. And not only told the story of God, but actually helped the people of God learn how to focus in and open up to the story of God. Okay? And here's why that's important. We know there's an editor because there's this part at the end of Deuteronomy, and Moses writes Deuteronomy, but the last two chapters of Deuteronomy about Moses' death. Well, Moses didn't write that. He couldn't have because, well, he was dead. So there was some sort of an editor at work helping to pull together all this data and put it in some sort of a coherent order so that the people of God could really understand what God was all about. Now, it's kind of like albums. Remember albums? Now we have Spotify, and you can just jump around and do some stuff, but actual albums. Listening to an album front to back, right? Now, this is a little show and tell, tell of your own. Favorite full album. Not like favorite song off an album, but like, is there an album in your life? And an album, for those of you guys up front, is a collection of songs <laughs> that all came out together. So they tell the story. So anybody have like an album that you go, I could listen to that thing front to back? Oh, wow. You had that ready. Jimmy Buffett. What was it? There you go. Dude, you're going deep. You got it. Anybody else kind of one up Jimmy Buffett? Jimmy Buffett. The which one? Okay. Oh, the Beatles. Oh, I don't, I don't like them. I know. I, 
shouldn't have said that. I know I should. Yeah, that's just nursery rhymes, but whatever. Um, yeah, fight me. That's fine. Whatever. What else? Any other, any other albums? I know you're all afraid now that I'm going to make fun of it. I won't make fun of the next one unless it's country, but that's okay. Oh, that's you? Yeah. One of mine's Paul Simon, Graceland. That album's fantastic. Front to back. Front to back. Here's the thing about albums, right? They're put together with intentionality. There's like a logical flow to the song and the story of an album. That is so beautiful, and that's why we, some of that's missing today in our current musical landscape. But this, think, of, think of this as an album of story that was put together for us to understand. So when you look at the shape of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, there's like this beautiful order and, and movement to it. But there's also a hint of how you and I as a community read it. And here's one of the little, I guess you could say, um, illustrations of that. It's something that scholars call canonical seams. Now, there's a break between the Torah and the Nevi'im, and there's a break between the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim. And those two places, scholars have actually looked at and go, wait a second, that's the same thing. Like, this is beautiful. That's the same thing. You guys want to look at it real quick? Yeah. All right, here we go. Even if you said no, we were going to do it. No. Joshua 1 and Psalm 1. Listen if you catch any similarities in these themes. Joshua 1, 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, that's Joshua 1. And here's the break between the prophets and the writings. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on this, his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers." Isn't that fascinating? Some interesting things here that I think that we should take with us when we think about how we read Scripture. Okay? Now, the difference is not how we study Scripture, just how we read it. Because I think that there's, these similarities are really, really good for us today, and they group into three major ideas. The first one is delight. The second one is meditate. And the third one is to obey. First one, delight. It's this Hebrew word that means to desire something. To like yearn for it. To have a, have a thirst for it. Dallas Willard writes this about 
uh, desiring scripture. He says, the Psalm 1 person delights in the law that God has given. Note they delight in it, love it, are thrilled by it, and can't keep their mind off of it. They think it is beautiful, strong, wise, and incredible gift of God's mercy and grace. They therefore dwell upon it day and night, turning it over and over in their mind, speaking it to themselves. They do not do this to please God, but because the law pleases them. It is where their whole being is oriented, and the result is a flourishing life. Right? This idea of delighting in it. That's the idea. To ache for scriptures. Now, I'll just be honest. Sadly, that's not how we, many of us, feel about the Bible. And the reason, there's a lot of reasons there. And let's just be honest about those reasons. Some of us have read it, and we have some hang-ups with it. We don't know what going on, or we don't necessarily like to agree with it, or it hits us in places that we don't like. Some of us have actually, to be honest with you, you've come from uh, uh, church traditions where it was very abusive with scripture. Hopefully that's not many of you, but it's some of you. Um, Some of you have fallen into a way of approaching scripture that you read it out of some guilt trip. Like, oh, I gotta read it. Um, Or you use it, maybe you read it to kind of manipulate God into doing things that you want God to do. Um, Some of you read it with other people in mind. (laughs) But not many of you, it doesn't sound like. (laughs) You read it and you think, oh, man, they really need this. (laughs) They could really use this. But the the whole point behind delighting in scriptures is something more akin to food. Think about this. Like developing a palate for something. Have you ever had uh, an experience in your life where you had to acquire the taste for it? That's what scripture is. Um, back in the day, as a youth pastor, I did not like coffee. So whenever our church staff had meetings at Starbucks, which used to be old age, I used to just get a hot chocolate. Now, what would happen is, is ridicule. <laughs> at that moment, it would spark ridicule. And uh, Eric, just wait, you're in this story. And... Um, <laughs> And so then people were like, listen, you four-year-old, if you, if, you, if you like hot chocolate, maybe your next step is something called a mocha. And so I'm like, well, all right, maybe I'll become a grown-up and get a mocha. And so then I got a mocha, and then I started drinking a lot of those. And, and then I got huge. And then, and then, because <laughs> they're not healthy. And so then, uh, so then I met Eric. We were planting this church, and, I, and Eric had this coffee shop. You probably heard of it. And at that point, it was called Two Rivers, and it was like it was like twelve feet by twelve feet. It was like this small little place. And I go in there, and I order coffee, and then I put a whole bunch of stuff in it, 
like cream and sugar. And, and Eric's like, hey, um, you may want to consider like backing off on that so you can actually taste the coffee. And so after, over time, I would, you know, so now I just like black coffee, but not like Starbucks black coffee, like good black coffee, right? Developed a taste, developed a palate for it. Um, some of you, in the same way, some of you, I'll just be honest with you, and I'm not here to make fun, this is an encouraging challenge. Some of you have a childlike palate when it comes to the scriptures. You don't desire it. It's, it's an, it because it's an acquired taste. Think about it. For those families that have kids and they're eating, there's this frustrating thing where you're trying to introduce to them new foods, right? And if you're a kid, every flavor is guilty until proven innocent, it's true. And so you're like, listen, you will love salsa. You will love, you just try it. And you, you ever been with someone and you're just like, they're, just try it. I think you'll really like it. Um, I'm usually that person that people are trying to get to try things, but yeah. There you go. I don't want to. See, and, and, and everybody's like, you're missing out. That's kind of what this conversation is. A lot of you are at the spot where you've yet to develop a taste for scripture. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to go, hey, listen, you're missing out. Two things are true when it comes to this. Scripture is an acquired taste on the one hand, and it competes with a lot of other things. A lot of other things that wrap up neatly. Um, we have been programmed to read headlines, not the news. We get most of our news from like a six-word headline and a picture. So the best way to change our palate is just like changing your diet eating less of one thing, eating more of another thing, and over time, your taste and your cravings begin to change. But it takes time. But that's what we're after as a people of God. To get to a spot where you and I delight in the library of Scripture. That we actually begin to have a taste for it. The second one is meditate. All throughout Hebrew Scripture, it talks about meditate. This idea of looking, not inside for um, meaning inside of me, but looking outside of me and filling my mind and thoughts with, whether it be scripture or thoughts about God or God's story, seeing God's story in places that I didn't see God's story in before. And the idea is, the Hebrew word for this is dagah. And Degah is this word that actually Isaiah uses to talk about like a lion growling over its prey. So for those of you in the room that have dogs that have like a bone and they just like chew on it and they're, they're just like totally into this bone, right? They're chewing on it and then after a while you see it's like smaller and smaller and smaller. That's the idea that you chew on it, you play around with it, you, you ingest it. 
That's the word meditate. That's a beautiful Hebrew word. For us, when we think of meditate, we think think. I'm just going to think. I'm going to focus. I'm going to think. But it's more than that. It's actually playing with it in our, in our lives, in our conversations, and to chew on it, and then to ingest it, to get it into our system. Uh, last week, I told you about a great book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book. And it's basically his, his attempt to encourage you and I to eat scripture. It's a beautiful book. It's 140 pages. I would encourage you to get it. It's beautiful stuff in there. But here's one of the quotes from it. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company with the Son. So how good is that? In Revelation 10, there's this, there's this picture where this angel basically approaches John, who's writing down everything he sees, and the angel has a scroll, which we think is symbolic for the scriptures, and the angel says, John, eat this scroll. He doesn't say, John, read it, memorize it, study it, or even believe it. He says, eat it, Right? And, and this idea, of, it, it says in that passage in Revelation 10 that it was sweet to my tongue, sweet to my mouth, kind of like Psalm 119. And then John says, and it was bitter in my stomach, like it gave me indigestion. <laughs> and there's, that's the, the crazy thing about scripture is that it can be so sweet and beautiful and encouraging at the same time. It reveals the gaps in our lives between what the life we're, the story we're living and, and, and that intention of Jesus on a life of flourishing, right? It, it just reveals those gaps. So, so the first one's delight. Second one, what did I just say? Meditate? Yeah. Third one is obedience, to obey. And, and John, Joshua 1 and both Psalm 1 and Joshua 1 say, be careful to do everything written in it, um, to obey it, to to seek it out. Uh, it's not enough to read it, study it, know it, and even believe it. At some point, you have to live it. Uh, I read one rabbi that said, we learn more with our feet than with our ears. That's the idea. Um, and then, oh, here's another Eugene Peterson. You ready for one more? Let's go one more. We are fond of saying that the Bible has all the answers. For those of you who like certainty, um, that you're trying to find certainty in the pages of scriptures, um, listen up. Because he says, and that is certainly correct, the text of the Bible sets us in a, in a reality that is congruent with who we are as created beings in God's image, and that we are destined for the purposes of Christ. But the Bible also has all the questions. Many of them that we would just as soon never ask of us. And some of which we will spend the rest of our lives doing our best to dodge. The Bible is the most comforting book. 
It is also the most discomforting book. Scriptures come alive when we live it out. And in the West, we have a really good, uh, just kind of the way we make up ourselves, very dualistic, that we can have this idea of belief that's completely separated with practice. Like it's so easy for us to do this. And we see it all over the place. And the funny thing is, is actually people on the outside of the people of God look at us and go, well, we see it in you guys. We see incongruence. And we're not going to be perfectly congruent. But the goal is to seek it, right? To seek it. I have our lives align with what Scripture says. This idea of living an active response to the living God. And so the final thing in these passages is an outcome, like a why. And here's why. Why put in all this work? Joshua 1.8, then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1.3 says this, that a person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Success and prosperity. Or as we talked about a couple weeks ago, becoming mature, becoming complete. Now, some of you are freaked out because you heard the word prosperity. And you're like, uh-oh, he's going to talk about the prosperity gospel. And, um, but here's what I would like to tell you. Yes, God does want success and prosperity for his creation. It's really clear. But we have to redefine success and prosperity around a crucified Messiah. And that's where the intentionality is. So we picture a life well lived in the mess and dysfunction of life this side of resurrection. There's a theologian that Angela, my wife's been listening to, who is um, Native American. And he talked about, I listened to this one kind of talk he did and he studies Native American tribes, and, and then he has this faith in Jesus, and he's, he sees, like, all the different languages of these tribes, and in all the languages that he's studied in all these tribes, they all have a word for the Hebrew word shalom. They have a word for peace and flourishing and what life should be like. And I think it's just in us as human beings that we have this, some sort of a tacit understanding of what the why is, right? And this idea in the Tanakh is that wisdom leads to success. And that whole thing kind of develops around this idea of wise people do well and foolish people crash. In America, when we think of success, we think of work ethic, talent, blind luck, or a combo of all three. The Hebrew story, success comes from wisdom. Wisdom comes from God through the scriptures. 
And so if there was some sort of a weird formula that we could, you know, talk about, is that if you want to flourish in life and the life that God has on offer, that we would delight in Scripture, meditate on Scripture, and flesh the Scripture out in our lives. To read the Bible this way means to read it slowly, not in a hurry. And we're all always in a hurry. And we're all overly distracted and stimulated, and we are literally addicted to those distractions and stimulations. We get dopamine dumps all day long because of these little computer supercomputers in our pockets. And I think that we are going to have, um, we have a lot pushing against us when it comes to reading scripture slowly. I read a stat the other day that blew me away. 76% of Americans never read a book to the end after their last year of whatever education level they complete. And some of you are like, oh, that's me. Um, it's not judgment. I'm just telling you that we, ha- we are literally, it's hard for us to not be distracted. We read blurbs. We read quick little snacks of anything, including scripture. So you're like, well, I read scripture. Well, it was an Instagram post with a little stream picture and a verse most likely taken out of context. But the point is, (laughs) the point is, is it's hard for us. We don't know what it's like to immerse ourselves in the story of scripture. There was an article by a guy who, who deals with books, used books, things like that, and he was, it was probably about, I ran across it, it was probably 10 years ago he wrote this. He was actually really beating himself up because he's in the business of books, and he, he admitted that he only read four books that year. And he was just thinking about his life and, and how he got distracted easily and how he got into this and followed this and whatever. And he wrote in his article, and I think this is really fascinating, and think about this when it comes to Scripture. He says, books, or think about this in way of the Bible, in ways that are different to visual art, to music, to radio, to love even, force us to walk through another's thoughts, one word at a time, over hours and days. We share our minds for that time with the writers, There is a slowness, a forced reflection required by the medium that is unique. Books recreate someone else's thoughts inside our own minds. And maybe it is this one-to-one mapping of someone else's words on their own without external stimuli that give books their power. Books force us to let someone else's thoughts inhabit our minds completely. Books are not just transfers of knowledge and emotion, but a special kind of tool that flattens oneself into another, that enables the trying on of foreign ideas and emotions. Think about that in terms of scripture. What would it look like for God's thoughts to inhabit our minds, to get in our heads and our hearts and our lives? So this morning as we close, I want to introduce you or reintroduce you to an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. 
And it's something that uh, the morning crew has been practiced a little bit already. And it goes all the way back. So if you're thinking, oh, is this tied to church history? Think No, it goes, it literally goes all the way back to like early church fathers, third century origin. You got Ambrose and Augustine, and then you've got the reformers, all branches of the reformation movement, John Calvin, everybody. Spiritual, this is called spiritual reading. And it comes in five movements, and it's, I mean, you're going to learn some Latin. It's not going to be hard. The first one is silencio. It's this idea of silencing our mind, our body, our, our phones. Please do that. <laughs> to get alone, to clear your head and your heart of distractions, and to just breathe and open up to God in prayer as you start to read. This isn't Bible study. This is Bible. This is reading. Then you have the Latin word lectio, which is you read and you read slowly. And um, uh, someone wrote that a good way to do this is to look for what shimmers. Look what lights up to you. A word or Something that resonates just jumps out at you. And um, when you find it, just stop and then reread it. Read it again and again. And then that, there's that word meditatio or meditation. Like growl over it. Chew on it. Play around with it. Then there's the Latin word oratio, which is to pray, pray, talk it back. Engage with God. Maybe it in, inspires some worship or some wonder or gratitude. Maybe it, maybe it brings up some area of a, of a gap that there needs to be some repentance on. Maybe um, you pray for something. Maybe you vent here some doubts or some anger. And then the final part is contemplatio, or contemplation. It's not quite what we think of as the word contemplation, but sit in it. Let it read you. Listen. God, is there anything else here that I'm missing? Is there, you know, is there something else that you need to show me? Just sit in it. Now, silencio, lectio, meditatio, oratio, and contemplatio. Contemplatio. These are these are not necessarily linear. It's just something you just play with. It becomes over time. It becomes kind of more intuitive. It almost becomes more like a conversation. Now, it's something I would encourage you to try. And we have a link um, on our program today. Um, I think it's is it up there? So yeah, it's on the weekly resources part. There's actually a link to for you to like print it out. You could whatever. It's actually a guide for doing this. And you could do this by yourself. You could do this in a group. You could do this with a small group of people. Now, when we started this series, I asked you to think of a number. Do you remember that? When it came to how you are uh, chewing the scripture, and um, I have two numbers. One of them's really high when it comes to, like, I love to study scripture. 
Like I'm, I've kind of been, I've gone through school for that training and, and I kind of nerd out. And, but when it comes to reading and letting scripture read me, I'm, I've got a lower number. And you're like, but you're the pastor. You're letting us down. Maybe, <laughs> just being honest, like a, that's something I'm trying to grow in. Now, for some of you, um, you come here and you're like, okay, our pastor's a nerd. He does a lot of background and context and things like that. And, and then you feel like, oh, that's really neat. That's really interesting. But I never really get that stuff when I read scripture. So I'm not going to read it anymore. I'm just going to come to church. And I, that makes me sad because I don't want that. I want to say to you to not, don't read to be nerdy. <laughs> don't read for information. Don't read to get study. Come, come to it to meet God. It's a, it's a portal to another kingdom, another world. And, and it helps us to take on different thoughts and have it read us and to transform us and to change us if you give it space to do it to develop a different imagination for your life. So I'm going to pray, and then we are going to respond and worship together. And we're going to actually read scripture together a bit out loud. We'll show you how that goes. God, thank you so much for this gathering together. Thank you so much for this community. God, we really believe that you meet us when we create space for you. God, we want to be a community that doesn't have like a eh, kind of like, look how much we know about the Bible air to it. But we want to be a community that really does meet you on these pages together, even as individuals in the morning and the evening would re-architect some stories and some thoughts in our lives, that it would read us, that we would, by reading scripture, know more about you and about ourselves, have more compassion for each other. God, that's what we want. Show us how to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.